On this episode of Reliterated, we know you're pining for the first book of the next chapter, but Beach, please. We're not the type to give in to popular demand. No, the many branching roads of fate sometimes leave us stumped, and we must embark on an unplanned mini-episode, because we would be saps for resting on our laurels. Now, now, weeping will only be a shameful display. It makes me sick the more I think about it. See what I did, Dar? Okay, I'll leave the puns alone if you stick around for a while and enjoy our episode on The Giving Tree on Reliterated, the podcast that dares you to try making a pun out of the word sequoia. to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of grown-ass adults reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020's hindsight. Fair warning, we use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. And this week, we're here with a bonus mini-episode in between chapters. Uh, We're going to start our next chapter either next week or a couple weeks from now. We'll see. But uh, the story we're doing today probably sparked a conversation that could cover a full-length episode, and maybe then some. Uh, We kind of intended this to be a mini-episode, but we'll see how it goes. My name's Andy. I'm Harold. I'm Josh. Today's book we are covering is The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein, a very popular book for children by a very popular children's author. I'm not sure I ever read this book when I was a kid. I actually thought when Josh said The Giving Tree, I thought that this was a like mini novel, not a literal children's picture book. Yeah, I've had this as long as I can remember. On the front cover, it has... I think this is my handwriting from when I was a very small child. It just says Josh and David Hazard. So I've had this pretty much my entire life. You write on the front covers of your books when you were a kid? On the inside of the front cover, Andy. Oh, on the inside of the front cover. Okay. No. What kind of plus, monster plus writes their names the on cover. the front of the book? I still have the dust cover. Oh, you cover. still have the dust cover. That is a pretty good achievement for having owned a book since a kid, because my son hates dust covers, takes them off every opportunity. I hate them, too. I do now, because all my books now, other than this one, this was in a, a box, so I had to go get it. Ooh, I just opened the back page, and it also it says David and... Josh, but it is a different handwriting, so I'm guessing David wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) So is your cover the green cover with the green tree dropping an apple down to a little boy? Okay, okay. I didn't know uh, if that was... With the the Hold On Herald meme on the back as uh, Shel Silverstein, it looks like... (laughs) Yeah, the bat cover. <laughs> that picture of Shel Silverstein is just like, he's got his look on his face like, why the fuck are you reading my book? <laughs> yeah. Right? What? How am I popular? What is going on? I've seen it a lot. I'm like, why is this the picture that comes up most often? <laughs> I feel it's like, it's a humorous thing. Like he was like, this picture is a bad picture of me. It's hilarious. And therefore I'm going to use it as, <laughs> as my main. You're looking at it from today's perspective. That time, I'm pretty sure that he thinks he looks masculine and badass as fuck. 
And he's like, yeah. Because <laughs> it was published in 1964 for, uh, right. originally. And he's got that big old beard at a time when shaving your face was definitely a thing. And mm. supposedly this man slept with hundreds to thousands of women. I'm pretty sure that picture is uh, Visual Musk. I think that's his intention there. <laughs> that is what raw masculine sexuality looks like, everybody. Yep. Or at least in his mind. Because <laughs> when they were showing him the pictures, <laughs> the he's 60s. like, I'm too smiley there. Give me that one that looks like mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to tear you apart. <laughs> <laughs> is that what that look says? I don't know. I don't know, Andy. I feel that look says that. <laughs> we'll it's definitely in the be putting the photo that we're talking about up on our socials. So it's in the eyes. So listeners can uh, <laughs> have a look at it. Uh it's in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get back to it. I have a digital version. <laughs> that that come hither glare. <laughs> yep. <laughs> With his bared upper teeth. One of mm-hmm. the one of the articles that I read about him, it it talked about how they said like he wasn't a handsome man, but girls were strangely attracted to him. And the one guy said it was his eyes did sparkle in a certain way. So that might have been what it was. Wham, bam. Mm. Didn't even read that article. <laughs> that look just says to me, confused as to what you're doing here. <laughs> not like not like a Tucker Carlson confused as to what's going on confused, but... Confused why you might be reading <laughs> the giving tree. It kind of like it kind of looks like he walked in on something that he really wasn't <laughs> expecting and wanted wants to walk out walk back slowly like Homer. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's he what walked it is. in on a couple of ladies that were having a pillow fight. <laughs> well, no, I think he would have been eager to join that. But... That's not a look that says, ooh, hey, a pillow fight. <laughs> That's a look that says he's taken in a deep breath. With his mouth open a little bit and looking at the multiple women in front of him going, this is going to be a challenge. <laughs> and they all have like giant bush. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the 60s. Because it's the 60s. It is the 50s yeah. and 60s. Correct. Fucking braided and shit. So yeah. Shel, Shel Silverstein, he grew up in Chicago and he went to school, but it wasn't really his thing. And he eventually got drafted into the Korean War. Uh, when he got back, he got a job working for Playboy in 1956, and he actually wrote for and cartooned for Playboy and became Hugh Hefner's sidekick. Uh, they described him as a jester of sorts and uh, was always lively. Uh, I read a little bit about in the they would he and another writer would go to lunch and then when they were coming back they would basically just flirt with all the women because it's the 50s and so that's how things were apparently back then and apparently if they showed any interest whatsoever shell silverstein would pull out a ruler and take measurements of the of the women like a fabric ruler so and he'd give them that look just to neg them a little bit (laughs) he would just look at them with that (laughs) with that picture (laughs) that's the that's the look too i mean the look is man i want to get her measurements for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, girl, what's your measure? So Nuts. he, yeah, he wrote a lot. <laughs> he wrote a lot for Playboy. And then he also started writing kids books. And he wrote uh, several of them, including The Giving Tree, while working for Playboy and spending a lot of time at the original Playboy Mansion in Chicago. He also wrote A Boy Named Sue, which is one of my favorite Johnny Cash songs. He wrote the song? He wrote the song A Boy Named Sue. Nice. And uh, 
Also, he had a a adult version of an ABC book called Uncle Shelby's ABZs, which were a lot of outtakes from Playboy magazine. So uh, that's how that came about. And yeah, it's definitely more adult themed. So clearly, yeah, that's that's cool, though. I mean, you know, just because he was a normal man who got the opportunity to work at the Playboy Mansion and stayed doesn't mean he would be incapable of writing children's books. So that's not too surprising to me. I mean, could you imagine if you got the opportunity to work at the Playboy Mansion? Do you think that that makes you a a person that couldn't write children's books after that? I'm not saying you do. I'm just questioning (laughs) that because I feel like I feel like that knowledge being as though I've not heard that or it's not like a big talked about thing, I would say. Then again, he's been dead for a long time. Since 99. Yeah. Uh, He never got married, but he had a few kids and... (laughs) Some yeah, long Met his first baby mama at the Playboy Mansion. Yep, met his first. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like he kind of w- had an un- understanding with these ladies because he it never showed it. I don't feel like he ever wanted to get married. Like that wasn't his thing. So. I mean, he never did. And never did. I mean, I'm at the point where I don't want to get married. So yeah. And unfortunately, his first daughter died at the age of eleven from an aneurysm. And Ugh, aneurysms are terrifying. <laughs> Fucking hate aneurysms, they dude. They could just hit anybody at any like, time. That's my thing. Like, I want to see it coming. You know? <laughs> or, like, at least have an assumable possibility. Like, hey, man, my heart ain't good, right? Like, I mm-hmm. don't want to be just sitting there one day walking and be like, hey, what's up? Oh, my head hurts. Bunk. <laughs> I mean, I guess I know it's over, but Jesus. And they happened to, like, I had a friend who, his uncle, like, they were hanging out one day, they were doing some stuff, and then his uncle had a headache and went to take a shower, and they discovered him, like, 10 minutes later, he had an aneurysm and died in the shower, and he was, like, he was a healthy person, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, they are terrifying. Uh, Can't even imagine. That and sharks. And you know? sharks, yeah, they will attack just as suddenly wherever you are. any warning, yeah. <laughs> without warning. Like you're in the shower and shark attack. Boom, shark. <laughs> I would say just just above aneurysms for me. You're, you're recording a podcast and bam. Shark attack. <laughs> shark attack. What if you're getting attacked by a shark and you have a fucking aneurysm? That might be a blessing. Oh, shit. Which is scarier <laughs> to you, sharks or alligators? Honestly, Ugh. it's sharks because... If it's alligators, I'm not going to go into the place where alligators are going to have the run on me, right? And if I am in an area where alligators are, I can guarantee you I have a large handgun on me. <laughs> like, so, so if Florida. it starts, yeah. So if they start like waddling at me, I'm going to shoot that motherfucker right in the face over and over again until it stops waddling. So I think alligators are more frightening to me because I can easily avoid a shark by just never going in the ocean. You, that's what they want you to think. That's what big (laughs) shark wants you to think. Alligators can be hiding anywhere at any time. They could swim up your toilet, (laughs) bite you in the ass. And you think that a shark can't. And that's how they get you. (laughs) Yeah, sharks can't. That's how they get you, huh? That is. Think about the small sharks that like swim up your butt. Oh, my God. Uh, I wasn't, but I am now. <laughs> right? There you go. They have those little, little sharks in it. Uh, well, they're not sharks, but they are fish that swing up, swim up your urethra in the Amazon. Uh, mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Fish are just sharks that didn't try hard enough. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't evolve enough. <laughs> nice. 
So anyways, uh, The Giving Tree by yeah. Shel Silverstein. This yep. book. <laughs> ah, what a segue. You want to sum this one up? Probably take more words than the actual uh, meat of the story here. Uh, yeah. Uh, so a little boy finds a tree and the tree loves this boy, uh, strangely enough. And the tree allows the boy to climb on it and play under it and lay down under the shade and it gives him apples when he's hungry and as the boy gets older he loses he sees the tree more as a something to get things from than something that loves him and he at one point like draws a couple different hearts in it showing that he had met multiple girls and wrote heart forever on the tree for multiple girls and then eventually he leaves one day he goes and when he comes back, he needs something to uh, to make money. So he gets the apples and he sells them for money and then he disappears. And then he comes back and he takes the branches so that he can build himself a house. And then he comes back and he takes the trunk, the rest of the tree so he can build himself a boat. And all these times he leaves for varying lengths of time, growing from a boy to a teenager to a man to an older man to an old man. And uh, finally, after the tree was happy, every time it gave away everything, and now it's just a stump, the boy comes back and he's an old, old man, and all he wants to do is sit, and the stump is able to allow him sit, and the tree is happy, um, but even then, the boy isn't necessarily thanking the tree for anything it did, and that's how it ends. The boy, I'm assuming, dies on the tree, and Bob's your uncle, the giving tree. <laughs> That's a good Bob's your uncle. It was a good Bob's your <laughs> uncle. Good job. So, I mean, I, you know, I, it wasn't until I was actually doing the Bob's your uncle summary that I remembered the fact that one heart shows up with him plus somebody and then the next heart shows up and it's him plus somebody else. You know, the first heart there, it actually says me plus T. For the oh, tree. for the tree? For the okay. tree itself, Because yeah. he loved the tree. Mm-hmm. Okay. But after time went by and the boy grow, grew older, there was another heart that says me and YL, which is, it's speculated that that stands for young love. Right. Ah. That makes sense. Like the boy went off and found something else to love and it wasn't the tree. So what are we supposed to think of the fact that to show his love for the tree, he used a sharp object to carve a fucking heart and letters into the trees outside. I mean, people get tattoos. Yeah, we got tattoos. It's basically a tree tattoo. Yeah, but we consented to tattoos. <laughs> That's true. The first one, the first one, the tree did consent. The second one, not so much. Hmm. Right. Fucking hey, there's more than we thought in this. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, I gotta, I just gotta say it. He had a sharp object. He he loved that tree. Did he fuck Carved that tree? his love into it. Did he fuck that tree? Did he? I don't know. Now we're asking the real questions. It. He was a little young to be fucking the tree back then. I mean, yeah. what, do you remember being that age? You kind of try to yeah, stick your dick in most anything. Uh, I might be attracted to a tree at that age, and I might like have had weird feelings about the tree. <laughs> I might be intrigued by random holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I wouldn't, I wasn't necessarily like looking for what to do with it. I was just kind of like, hmm, for some reason, I'm really sexually attracted to this tree. I wouldn't even necessarily say it sexually. I'd just be like, I'm attracted to this tree. You know, I love this tree. I guess yeah. you could just use the That's apples. norml. That's normal. That's normal for children. Using an apple would probably be safer and more, uh, less, less chance of splinters. 
I feel like this is not what this book is about, though. <laughs> no, I just I felt feel like I we had went to bring straight because it, it was hilarious. <laughs> we went straight to sexual content and <laughs> missed everything straight else. Straight to he's fucking that tree or he's fucking that falcon or whatever. Well, yeah, we had to we had to get it out of the way so that we could actually talk about the like hard right. hard themes of this of this of this book because yeah, this book has been called the most divisive. Uh, kids book around because there are so many ways you could interpret this yeah I mean like you could interpret the tree as a parent and the parent keeps on giving to their child but more and more the child distances themselves from the parent you know what I mean true and yet the parent is still happy yes with, when the child does that even though the child's taking more and more out of them right yet at the same time the tree expects to outlive a human being or it should, right. if it's like a, a thinking creature. That's right. my interpretation of this book, is the dangers of personifying <laughs> non-sentient things. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because oh, personified you, and then cut down. I was going to say, mm-hmm. if, you, if you chop off a tree's branches, it's probably going to die. Mm-hmm. Right. But no, this tree was still happy and still thinking, even as a stump. So this tree, this soul is just stuck in this thing and will never be able to move on wow yeah <laughs> that's one way to see it too what yeah, if soul is in this tree <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the geopolitical interpretations yet and we're nope. like wow wow <laughs> well i mean in that you know there is so much and if you think about it it kind of makes sense just the first hierarchy societal hierarchy you have is child and parent right Right. And there's this this expectation from both sides. And the only one who changes the expectation would be the parent. So, you know, the, unless until the kid gets older. So when you're young, you know, that's when you're going to learn what you can do, what you can give and take and how it works. And right. then as you get older, you're going to take that with you out into society and, and how you're supposed to interact with other people. So, I mean, the giving tree can represent a parent, but then it can also represent, you know, whatever society or whatever entity, because that social construct is the way that we as human beings work within our own, you know, obviously American Mm -hmm. society is different than, you know, Spanish society or European society in ways, Mm -hmm. but there's a basic line that they all kind of follow to one extreme or another yeah you could also say that the tree is in an abusive relationship with this human because Mm -hmm. it it at first begins where the like the boy is just kind of hanging out under the tree climbing the tree not doing much damage to anything but more and more it gets more damaging to the tree takes all its apples takes all its branches uh chops it down to make a boat uh, and the entire time, it's brainwashed into thinking that's make that's what is bringing me happiness is the other yeah. doing those to me. It's making the tree happy to be that for the kid. I'm giving myself, and that is what is making that other happy. And that is that is a definite abusive situation. <laughs> <laughs> right, because you can view the the tree as an individual and the boy as society and the tree is constantly giving but never receiving anything in return other than the idea that what i did was good and it will help so i don't need anything well when we're just talking about an abusive relationship it's just two individuals 
Oh, for sure, sure. So, if you're talking about an abusive relationship, that's, yeah, the, yeah, that's where we were well, with that. But and it's yeah. kind of a it's kind of a silently abusive relationship though, because it's Trees not can't like, talk. Well, no, it's not like the boy. <laughs> it's not like the boy is demanding anything of the tree. You know, yeah, he's just kind of saying, telling the tree his needs. Yes. Telling him what's been bothering him. I need a place to live. Okay, so take my branches. And he does. Yep. So it's it's more a because of the selfishness of the boy that it's abusive than a directly like other than the fact that the boy used a knife to carve two hearts into the tree. <laughs> one of them to show the tree it loved it. <laughs> I feel like the boy is just manipulative. He knows that he can get those things from the tree, so he manipulates the tree into giving mm. him what he actually wants. He's not going makes to the directly tree think say, it was its idea. Yeah, by putting it in their idea, that makes it. Oh, that's what make that. So that's going to bring me happiness is by me giving myself. So I could see that definitely being a theme. Uh, there's another underlying theme of. Just, yeah, society being the boy taking, taking, taking from the tree who is uh, the people and it almost being a capitalist story, like showing like the tree, the tree is the workers and the boy is the capitalist and he just takes and takes and takes. He takes to make money. He takes to make himself wealthy and gives nothing back to the tree and the tree Mm. just ends up a broken down, dirty stump. But all the his entire life has been told, like, hard work is what's going to get you there. And so by giving yourself, even till the end, he gives himself as a stump to this so that this other person can rest. I would say that that since it doesn't directly come in and say any of those things. Right. To me, it's more of a like. I agree. Uh, the boy is society. The tree is essentially individuals in society and constantly giving of themselves. Right. And never receiving anything in return, but also being happy and proud that they didn't get anything in return for what they gave. But why are they? Okay. Why? Why are they proud that they got nothing? That because it's supposed because to be it's that its purpose. It's yeah. Purpose your purpose. Right. Your purpose and the the need that you fulfill is the greater good of society by giving of yourself. And you really don't deserve to have much more because all these other people are giving of themselves too. all the other trees are giving of themselves. Why do you think you deserve something more for it instead of all the trees being together and going, wait a second, we do give so much of ourselves yeah, the beginning Why of that statement, I was getting very, nothing. I was going to be very, I was like, you literally just described one of their reasonings for slavery. My my <laughs> point is simply that the reason this book can be interpreted is because like you've said a couple of things so far. You've said the tree's been brainwashed. You said the tree was told hard work. You're personifying the tree with your own idea. I see the same message you're seeing, but I think that Shel Silverstein, in whatever message he was trying to get off, was specifically cryptic about it so that you could have that interpretation where you're like, oh, yeah, look, the tree gives up everything it worked hard for for the boy to be happy. Okay, and you get that that from it. But I'm just going with the baseline of it, what it's saying. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? I understand what you're saying. I think we're we're I think we're looking at it at two different ways and we think we're looking at it the same way. It's kind of the point of the book. (laughs) 
It's kind of the point of the podcast is for us to discuss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, again, again, because at the end of the day, I'm not disagreeing with you. The the tree was proud and happy to have given everything and gotten nothing. Okay, and that is a consistent matter that I notice with a lot of people that they're so busy going, well, I ain't got nothing either, but I work 60 hours a week. Well, you're arguing against me who's saying that you should be getting more. And instead you're saying, I'm happy I don't get more. In fact, I even kill myself more than you. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. They feel like they're better than you because they do that. It's like, you're because not better they're... than me. You're actually less than me because you're giving more of yourself than I am. <laughs> right. You know, and somehow still struggling to survive. Like, you know, give me a break. So, yeah, I think we're we're coming into the same pool, maybe not the same point. But yeah. and and I don't know why I said coming into the same pool because that, that sounds like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, this podcast! In this podcast, yeah. Oh God, that's gonna be on it the end of the sad. year special. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Oh, phrasing is important. Yes, <laughs> and absolutely. There's also the religious connotation because he made the giving tree an apple tree. So people also bring into that as a as a but to me uh, that's not what religious people cling to in their interpretation of it that it was an oh, apple goodness, tree. Oh goodness, no. But it is one thing that they will bring <laughs> it was up. Is that the the tree self-sacrifice itself for the happiness of others? Right. I don't think Christians really care about apple trees. No, no, but the, the Bible didn't even say the tree in the Garden of Eden was apples. Yeah, but Anyways, everybody just, just assumes tree. it is. Yeah, it's it's that icono- iconography and everything, but the religious aspect of interpretation with this book is more based on self-sacrifice and uh, that being an expression of love. Yeah, the pure the puritanical uh <laughs> self-flagellation, masochism uh Oh, I wasn't going to go as, there. As love. I was going to go the <laughs> the hard work, hard work ethic type, but yeah. I wouldn't disagree that self-sacrifice to some degree that can be a show of love because I make mm-hmm. self-sacrifice for my children. Oh, absolutely. Right? It's part of being a parent. It's part of being a parent. So, so it's not that it's just that the idea here would be you should sacrifice all of yourself. There is such a thing as giving too much. If there is at some point you have to sit down and you have to go, okay, listen, I really care about whether or not this person or these people succeed. I do want to help, but what are the benefits for me here too? I can't just think of other people. Because you, you're you incapable, every person is incapable of even offering help if they have not first made sure they are good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to do. And if you just keep doing that, you're constantly pulling from the red and you're you're going to run yourself down and maybe become somebody who becomes spiteful of other people that need help because you self-sacrifice so much that now you're bitter about it. You know, it's like... This tree doesn't get there, but that's how I would like to me at some point, I might be a little bit bitter about my self-sacrifice. Like, my God, I've done everything. And at the end of the day, now I can't grow apples anymore. I can't grow apples. I I can't. I gave away my branches. I can't take care of myself because I took care of someone else too much. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Hmm. I agree. So, I, you know, it's funny coming from a non-Christian, never been right. 
I always find it interesting the things I can come together with, They're the ideas, the moral ideas that mm-hmm. are at least espoused. Yeah, yeah. They say <laughs> they say that, oh, we have these morals, right? And I, I disagree a lot mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. But like there are things that I come to agree with as far as moral choices and moves, but at the end of the day, it's always taken to some level where it's like like this. Their religious connotation is, oh, you should give of yourself and it'll make you happy to the point where you're stumped. Yeah, give until it hurts. Yeah. And giving is one of the love languages. So it does work for some people, but not for everybody. Some people, it's a show of service. Or is giving the branches and giving the apples and giving away all those things another a, a service to this tree? That's a good question. Right, because the, the love languages you're referring to are, would be either acts of service or gift giving. Yeah, those those two specifically. Right. But gift giving isn't exactly you know, sacrificing yourself to give somebody something. Like the, This tree is giving to the point where it can't regenerate things for itself or like it has no more branches to uh, take in sunlight or whatever. It's just a stump sitting there. Yeah, at the end, it's just a stump. So, and the only thing it can do for the boy anymore is allow him a place to sit at the end of his life. I wonder if the tree would have had more to give if the old man still would have wanted that. Well, think of what the old man could have done. So here's another one for society's sake, right? Like I think of maybe things that are going on right now where in the moment, in the moment, it's hard to see the end game because the end game might not be for another 50 or 60 or hundred years, Right. But we can't see that end game. If that boy had, instead of just taking the apples to sell them, had planted the seeds of the apples, he could have grown an orchard of trees and he could have Mm -hmm. prepared for the future. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, he could have also been able to benefit more people than just him. Okay, so his foresight was gone because all he could see was I'm in love. I need to sell to make money for right now. I need something to address my right now needs. Yeah, my right now needs. It was always his right now need. And he only showed up to address his right now needs. Had he taken the long game and actually cared, it could have been a grove of apple trees all willing to give. And because they were so many, it didn't require taking this Mm -hmm. one down to a stump. But then this tree would have gotten jealous because now he's in a polyamorous relationship. (laughs) I was going to say that he planted himself a harem is what he did. But that that was a good segue, I was going to say, because that is another theme that some people bring up is the environmentalism aspect of this, of just taking instead of, as you said, planting Mm -hmm. and growing a a new orchard rather than just cutting down the street. Right, it's how mankind treats nature allegorically. I wonder, did Shel Silverstein ever give his interpretation or did he just allow it to become like, did he just light a match and throw it in? <laughs> That's what I'm kind of looking through the Wikipedia about. Like th- what I can find about his, what he has to say about his writing in general is that he never planned to write or draw for kids. Um, Man, from what I can see, he never gave an interpretation of what he no, was trying to say. He let people believe whatever they wanted to and make it be what he gave it to the world and the world accepted it basically. Yeah. And there are many different people that have the true meaning or what they think the meaning is. Um, one says show kids what being selfish results in. The other one is a tree's sacrificial love for a boy. 
um, which relates to parents. Uh, it's an overly dependent relationship too, because the yeah. only time the tree was ever unhappy was when it didn't see the boy for a long time. I know my mom gets real sad when she didn't see me during the all the COVID. So mm-hmm. that's one thing to to miss your kid, but yeah, it's uh, this is after the kid just cut down the trunk and made a boat and sailed away. You're right. The tree was happy, but not really. And then after a long time, the boy came back again. You can even think of that. I mean, I've I know that a hundred percent somewhere out there, there is a parent <clears throat> that sold their home to get enough money for their kid to be able to do something. You know what I mean? Like I know that something like that has happened. Hundred <laughs> percent. Not not be just out of the probability of it happening. You know, mm-hmm. it sold their home so they could get. for their kid for something or parents have lost everything because a kid went to jail and they're trying to get them out of jail and they're paying for lawyers, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, yeah, no, I mean this to me, it kind of, when I personally look at it, I see it as a parent with kids and I see it as a cautionary tale for both parents and kids. The cautionary tale for the parent is if you give everything at some point, all you're going to be able to offer is, a place to sit. <laughs> something to sit on. Yeah, something to sit on. And if you're a kid, if you keep taking from your parent, at some point, all you're going to have, all they're going to have is somewhere for you to stay. Or Just sit. seized up stump. Yep. Right. Now, then in the societal level of that, you know, like I said the other night, clearly the tree is the benevolent government and corporations and the boy is us. <laughs> And we're constantly just taking away from those poor corporations and poor government entities. We're such a society of takers. Oh yeah, my to gosh. the point we where we're more grateful. They have nothing left, and all you have is a bunch of you know people that are running your government that are millionaires because they work with these corporations that are billionaires. You know, <laughs> to make sure that workers can't get. Uh, help when they need it or you know have decent wages or we don't know how to plant more apple trees right and they're doing that for us so that we can know what it's like to self-sacrifice like they do because they are always dependent on them yeah you know we need to know what it's like to not be able to drive gold jet skis around (laughs) private islands you know i mean not like i know what it's like to eat ramen for weeks at a time but you know (laughs) yeah i think that Anything that suggests, I haven't seen anything personally that suggests any kind of uh, where this is against socialism or used to teach why the way we do things is good. Uh, I don't know how anybody could interpret it that way, actually. Mm-hmm. But it'd be a stretch to be to be to be sure. Right, right. But I believe isn't that isn't it true that that has been an interpretation that was used at one time, like saying like this is why socialism is bad. Probably yeah. having to do with the tree losing everything from people taking from it. And they're trying to say exactly what I just said, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. You you have to be batshit crazy to think that. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, 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 Josh. Nothing. <laughs> huh? No. What? I mean, I was, I was just getting angry in my head about how I was like, and you haven't even mentioned healthcare yet. But that's all just wrapped up in that. So but healthcare is just part of it. Exactly. It's just part of it. Well, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. That's true. This book also teaches us that if we eat a bunch of apples and see, the thing is, is the way I look at it is if I want to be good for 30 days, I just eat 30 apples in one day. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it gives me the shits, but I figure that's the toxins <laughs> coming out. That's the toxins coming out. 
that is one of my favorite thing that people say to me. They're like, oh, I use this thing on the bottom of my feet to get the toxins out. Look how dirty it is. <laughs> yeah, go figure. It's the bottom of your fucking foot, dude. <laughs> Literally like three millimeters of dead skin and dirt that's been ground into your foot for the past 30 years. Fuck yeah, it's dirty when you took it off. That is not toxins. They did the same <laughs> thing with a carrot. Guess what? Yeah. It turned the same color. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's just... People want to see and hear what they want to see and hear. And I think that that's a good important lesson from this for this book here is because I think you could show this to 10 different people and then have them all give their interpretation. And we would probably be amazed at Mm -hmm. the different interpretations we'd hear from it. For instance, I have a I just came up with a more positive interpretation of this being a good relationship between two people who are uh, just what the other needed at the time because the boy comes back to the tree he's an old man and the tree's just a stump uh, the tree has no apples to give but it's okay because the boy's teeth are too weak to eat apples uh, he's too old to swing on branches he just needs a place to sit and the tree is able to uh, provide that for him and at every stage of his life the tree had what he needed uh, to uh, in the moment, until the tree didn't. <laughs> but then it was okay because the boy didn't need uh, what the tree used to have anymore. So, well, and it kind of. I guess it's more positive, but still, the it's tree positive? is fucked. <laughs> it's not there for the next boy when it it's a tree, so it should be outliving a person, a human person, to provide those kinds of things for the next generation. So, I mean, in that way, from that perspective, I kind of see what you're saying from like a humans and nature thing. Like, If it was between two humans, yeah, two people being what each other needs would be a healthy relationship. Well, and I'm not even saying it's unhealthy for the human to use nature as it needs. And I mean, it wasn't Mm -hmm. like, again, this was one tree that the boy used for all this stuff it wasn't like he went out and tore down a whole acre of trees (laughs) to make himself he had had exactly what he needed and he took exactly what he needed and the tree was willing to give exactly what he needed so that is healthier and in that way is like hey you know clearly we need these objects to live one way or the other trees are uh, able to grow again as long as we plant them (laughs) well I mean we don't have to plant them but us planning them helps yes yeah it is also a story of age because it quickly goes from your childhood to old age so Mm -hmm. and i do want to bring up something at one point he says i'm too old to climb on trees motherfucker you are never too old to climb on trees i'm 40 (laughs) years old i like to climb trees it's still fun it's not pretty sure as it used to be but it's still fun (laughs) I'm pretty sure in 40 years, you're not going to be thinking that same thing. <laughs> well, then I'll be the old man. But I'm I'm talking about this is when he first. Oh, yeah, that's right. To get the branches. He's like, I'm too old to play on the branches. No, you're not. It's fun to play in trees. <laughs> I also like rock climbing. So that kind of explains <laughs> that part. of it. <laughs> well, the tree definitely has a sense that it knows its purpose and its purpose is to make this boy happy. However it can. Yes. Know your role, surf. (laughs) Yeah. So that is the danger of personifying things. Like, and if this thing's purpose is to serve man, then it's, it's a pretty bleak mindset to, uh, to give this thing 
like human thoughts and human qualities. I will say that first take when I read the book and went all the way through it, I was immediately like, man, that boy is a dick. Like <laughs> that was my initial interpretation without trying to put anything else on it or think it was trying to tell me a certain story. I was just kind of like, I-, I get that the tree was being good and the tree was happy to give, but the tree is kind of naively not realizing it's being taken advantage of. And the boy is only returning when it needs something from the tree. So, I mean, that was my knee jerk reaction at the end of it was I'm like, well, this boy he, he gets and in the end he still gets something from the tree mm-hmm. you know it, yeah i was like man because yeah, the boy still has that same uh expectation of the tree's purpose as well is that it is a source for when he when he's young it's a source for fun and for climbing and shade and making little crowns out of leaves and shit but then as he gets older it's a source of food it's a source of well, something he can sell for money or make a house out of make a boat out of and in the end just sit down on but the problem is that the tree is sentient <laughs> and it's right, seen as the a tree person. is sentient <laughs> <laughs> i mean you got to get that out of your head i think a little bit <laughs> oh this is going to carry the... over into into our next uh next episode oh, nice. the wild with how we how we personify dogs and how we treat dogs in light of that personification right agreed <laughs> <laughs> But dogs have a little bit more personality than trees. I'll say that. <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> they're definitely a little bit more expressive. Yeah. But therefore easier to personify. Yes. Yeah. And they answer to cute names like Feeny Beanie. <laughs> Feeny Beanie. Even oh, though their name is dog. Phoenix. No. <laughs> yeah. So yep. I think that tees us up for uh, <laughs> for an uh, escape plan, gentlemen. Yes. Down the hatch. <laughs> Down the hatch. I like this book. I think I would tell people to read it. Uh, I would rather not give somebody my own interpretation of it before having them read it, though, because I'd be interested mm-hmm. to hear what theirs would be like. I know that I went into this book, and I feel, unfortunately, I went into this book thinking that it was telling me a cautionary tale um, about the way about society runs. Yeah, yeah, or whatever it be. And so it took away from me reading it and not attaching something to it right away. So I actually had to sit back and, which I can do, but I had to sit back and like really mull it over in my head to create my own thought on it. I'd probably only recommend it as an exercise in interpretation as well. I, I see, I don't know enough about the author's intention, and I don't think anybody does to uh to say oh yeah this is definitely the lesson you should draw from it um but there have been alternate versions of the of the book written um where it's a more sustainable relationship where it's a, a healthier relationship or where it actually displays the actions of the giving tree as uh unnecessary and un- unhealthy for instance in 79 there was a version of the story entitled the other giving tree that featured two trees next to each other with a boy growing up and one tree acted like the one here in the giving tree ending up as a stump while the other tree stopped at giving the boy apples and doesn't give the boy uh, its branches or trunk or really all its apples probably and then the stump was sad that the old man chose to sit under the shade of the other tree instead of sitting on it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) 
Did Shel Silverstein write that, or was it somebody else? It was somebody else. Hmm. Okay. Jackson and Dell. So they took they took their interpretation and created a story that told it a, mm-hmm. in a good way, actually. Curiously, Silverstein also created an adult version of this story <laughs> in a cartoon entitled I Accept the Challenge. In the cartoon, a nude woman cuts off a nude man's arms and legs with scissors, then sits on his torso in a pose similar to the final drawing in The Giving Tree, in which the old man sits on the stump. I gotta get a look at this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I must research this more. <laughs> for knowledge yes that's why knowledge man shell silverstein really was kind of uh high on himself oh yeah i would say <laughs> i wouldn't recommend you reading the reading this as an adult but kids do really like this book so i'd say hey if your kid wants to read it you can read it to them for bed or something like that but make sure to explain how the lessons work as a parent should do. Yeah. I don't have kids, sure so I don't it. fucking know. So <laughs> Usually they should be taking it as a, uh, a story about the joy of giving or you know, somebody's purpose of serving other people. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> I believe my mom's interpretation was the love of a mother for a son. That is what that she would go. She would do anything for her her boys. She she so, would go yeah, above some sort of eye. nurturing relationship. Yeah, yeah, and that does extend to you two doofuses too. So her boys yeah, include a... all of her <laughs> children, including other people's childrens. So well, tell your mom I need four thousand dollars. I will let her know. <laughs> but tell your I've mom never I need gotten a monetary. Uh, Things from her like that. So, well, I thought you <laughs> I said don't. she would give anything. Uh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> like, if you needed it, like, Harold needs an operation or he's going to die and it costs $4,000 and we have no other way, she would probably do that for you. The fact Ask that your you. Mom if I can sit on her. I don't know. <laughs> <Do that. laughs> she might. You never know. <laughs> Ask your mom if while Andy's sitting on her, I can sit on Andy. <laughs> At that point, it's just like, hey, might as well. This is funny. So <laughs> I'm tired. I need a place to sit. <laughs> can I sit on you? Knowing her, she'd be like, oh, come here. <laughs> <laughs> Good old mom. I hey, moms, moms are like that. So I love my mommy. Yeah, me too. I love my mom. Yep. I think we all love our moms. moms we moms. will we will refrain <laughs> from our normal going off onto banter's about other people other moms. So All right guys. All right, cool man. We did it. <laughs> yep. we, yep. Got- we will see you listeners uh next time uh with our first chapter in the snow chapter or our first book in the snow chapter uh Call of the Wild when that will be whether it's before or after our interview with Bruce Coville, we'll let you know. So Until that point, give a shit, read some lit. Absolutely. Have a good night. Thanks, everybody. This has been Reliterated, a production of the Chocolate Milk Friends and part of the 989 Podcast Network. If you enjoy our show, please consider giving us support by subscribing, recommending us to your book-reading, podcast-listening, 90s nostalgic friends, and most importantly, rating and reviewing us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible Podcasts, and Spotify. Did I mention we really want some Spotify ratings right now?
Your ratings and reviews go a long way towards getting us in the ears of new listeners. You're also invited to join the growing Reliterated community on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. And if you really want to get nuts, we have a Discord too. So bing us and join us in this nonsense. If you have a book suggestion for a future episode or have questions for us, send us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.